You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. It's my privilege to open the word for us this morning. And if you want a title, if you're taking notes, um, the title this morning is Dealing with Heart Damage. Dealing with Heart Damage. If you've been around the church in the last few weeks, then you'll notice there's been something of a shift. That's this, we're coming into a new season. There's a sense of God doing a new thing. We weren't thinking we were gonna come back from the summer and find immediately God doing a new thing. This isn't a thing we've initiated, this is a thing God has initiated. You know, as leaders, we're only ever trying to prepare the church to follow where the Lord leads us in what he's doing. Sometimes we initiate things, but we're always only ever trying to go where he's leading us as a community. So the Lord is about a new thing. If you were here, I think it's three weeks ago when Nicholas Sarkis got up to preach in this second service and there was a sense that we hadn't quite finished our praise and worship. And something rose up from us as a people. And there was a sense of ushering something new in, in the heavenly realms. I know it sounds weird when you try and talk about it and articulate it, but those of us who were here, we know something happened that morning. And then we had our encounter weekend. I was delighted to hear somebody say last week, it did exactly what it said on the tin. It was an encounter weekend. In the middle of some brilliant teaching around hosting the presence of God, there were some powerful times of encounter and ministry. And into the middle of that on the Sunday morning, Nick Reske, who's got an incisive prophetic gift, he came and brought a message to us here on the Sunday morning about accessing new levels in God and the need for us to come to maturity. You see, it's time for us as a church to push into the next level of what God has for us. He's opening something up for us in this season, and it is for us to step into it. And as part of Pastor Nick's message that he brought that Sunday morning, he was encouraging us that as individuals, we need to come to maturity. But amidst a great message, he says, sometimes there are damaged areas of our lives that can stop us from moving into maturity. So if God is doing a new thing and calling us to a new level, but there are still some areas of damage in our lives and our hearts, then friends, there is becoming an urgent need for us, a timely call for us to process where we have unresolved pain in our hearts, where we're carrying damage. And when I'm talking about our hearts, I don't mean the organ pumping blood around you, hopefully as you sit there this morning, but I mean the depths of who we are, our emotions, our will, our mind, and our thoughts. This makes up our heart, the depths of who we are as people. You know, as I was reflecting around this this week, I realized that in my own life, moving into new levels of God and new seasons has often been coupled with God doing a deeper heart work in me. It's about 13 years ago that Martin and I were asked to lead a kind of life group together. We thought about it a while and sensed that God was in it. We had two little boys at the time and we were about to step into it. But between saying yes and beginning, what happened was the Holy Spirit came and he put his finger on something 
in my life. He started speaking to me about something that was in my heart. It was a relationship in my wider family that had caused me some pain. It had been a difficult relationship, and although things had got a little bit easier, it wasn't a right relationship. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit came and put his finger on it and said, this isn't right. You know it's not right. And he said, I want you to apologize to that person. I was like, apologize? Apologize, it was their fault. And they were older than me. Surely it's the older person who has to say sorry first. Isn't that right? You know, sometimes when we've been hurt, I'd been in a situation where somebody had it had been intimidating, I'd been scared, I'd not known how to handle it, I'd been, it had upset me, and then I, I felt like the Lord said, you need to apologize. I had a whole hat full of reasons to present to God as to why I shouldn't apologize, and particularly why I shouldn't have to make the first move. But he wasn't very interested in those. Don't argue with God. It uh, never really ends well. But you know, I knew that I hadn't always conducted myself in the way that I should have done in that relationship. And God in this season came and said, you need to apologize. And I knew it was God, and so there's no point arguing for long. So I resolved that, that the next opportunity I would speak to this member of my family. And so I did that. I asked if I could have a word with them alone. I said, listen, I, I just know that things haven't always been very easy with us, and I want to say sorry for my part in that. Now, I wasn't sure how they were going to respond. I didn't know if they were going to blow up at me. I didn't know if they were going to try and intimidate me again and if it was going to be difficult. But they just said, I'm sorry too. And we embraced. Do you know what happens? Something gets opened up in your heart instead of being held back. And we now have a very good relationship, somebody that I love dearly. But the Holy Spirit said, if you're going to move into the next level, we're going to deal with some damage that you're carrying in your heart. If we want to move to the next level, we've got to be willing to deal with the things in our heart that are holding us back. Places of damage, places where there's unresolved pain. So I wonder if you'll turn with me this morning to John chapter 11, and we're going to have a window into somebody else and their heart on their journey and what God called them to do. So if you turn to John chapter 11, and we're going to read, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7, and then we're going to skip a few verses. They're good verses, but just for the sake of time this morning, we're going to skip them, come to verse 17, and then read to verse 37. So, John 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Nazareth was sick. He was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. 
Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the, mourn, to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's not the end of the story. I know some of you know the end of the story, and those of you who don't, I will fill you in before we finish this morning. But you know, we could preach a whole series from these verses, they're so rich, but I want us just to focus on these ones we've read this morning because they give us a window into Mary's heart and what is going on for her. You see, Mary was a friend of Jesus. Did you get that from the story? It says that Jesus loved her. Jesus loved her and Martha and Lazarus, his brother. Jesus loved them. These were not just faces in the crowd. These were not passers-by on the street. These were friends of Jesus who he loved. So obviously when Lazarus became sick, they sent for Jesus. They'd seen him heal. They knew what he could do. They knew of his power, so they sent for him. And although we don't know exactly where Jesus was when he received the news, it says that he stayed there two more days. We don't get told that he was doing anything particularly important. No particular miracle that he was just, you know, sewing up before moving on, but he stayed two more days before going. And so by the time he arrives in the region where Mary and Martha live, it's seemingly too late. Lazarus is dead. He's been buried. In fact, when Jesus arrived, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. In that culture, some people did believe that even if someone had the power to raise someone from the dead, they could only do it in the first three days because they believed that after three days, the spirit stopped being connected to the body and you could never bring them back. So four days, it was bad news that Jesus didn't arrive until then. When Jesus finally reaches the region, Word comes to the sisters that he's not far away, and Martha, we're told, goes out to meet him. And this is really important what happens here because we're told that Mary stayed at home. Martha went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. 
Now, we know a previously well-known account of Mary and Martha, and one of them was busy with the stuff of home, busy with the housework, and that was Martha. Mary was not so bothered with all those things, but spent her time sitting at the feet of Jesus. She had prioritized being close to Jesus over all the needs of the house, of everything else that needed doing. So we know it was not Mary's personality that made her stay back that day. Something different was happening in her. You see, Martha goes, but Mary stays back. Martha fronts Jesus with her disappointment. She goes out, she says to him, Lord, if you'd come, my brother wouldn't have died. But while Mary is doing that, Martha, sorry, while Martha is doing that, Mary stays away. Martha goes and connects with Jesus. In fact, as Martha goes and connects with Jesus, she's the recipient of one of the great I am statements of Jesus. I'm the resurrection and the life. And in that exchange, Jesus gently challenges Martha on this darkest of days for her about what she actually believes, whether she really believes in him still in the midst of her pain. And she does. Martha went, but Mary stayed at home. It doesn't tell us this expressly in the text, but I think Mary is disappointed with Jesus. I think she's taken offense that he didn't come sooner. I think she'd hoped that he was gonna come and heal her brother, that's why he'd sent for her. But he came seemingly too late and she is hurt. She's grieving the loss of her brother, but she's also hurt that Jesus, the healer, whom she thought loved her and her brother, that he didn't come sooner. He didn't come in the way that she thought he would come, and she's taken offense at him, and so she doesn't go out to meet him that day. See, disappointment is ruling in her heart. She leaves her sister to go alone, and Mary stays home. You know, there's a danger with disappointment. We can all get disappointed. Life does disappoint. People disappoint. We expect them to be perfect, and then they're not, and it disappoints us. We expect them not to hurt us, and then they do, and it disappoints us. Things play out in life, and we have hope for things, and it doesn't always work out that way, and it disappoints us. But if we don't deal with our disappointment, it doesn't just stay as disappointment in our heart. It becomes discouragement. It becomes discontent. It grows in our heart, and it changes us from the inside, and it leaves us despondent. And its fruit in the end is despair. It's the danger of disappointment. But here we find Mary with disappointment ruling in our heart. And I think some of us this morning, maybe a number of us, we can equate with Mary's response. We understand something of what that's like when it doesn't quite work out how you wanted it to, when Jesus doesn't answer in the way that you wanted him to. For all of us, there are difficult seasons of life, aren't there? There's times when challenges hit, when crises come, when when a loved one passes away, when a relationship breaks down. And it's true that sometimes in those seasons we haven't really prayed or asked Jesus to come and help us, but sometimes we have. Sometimes we know that we have and the outcome still isn't the one that we hoped for and longed for and we find ourselves hurt, struggling, disappointed that God 
didn't answer the way or in the time that we wanted him to. Now it's true that in some of those moments, we choose to respond like Martha. And we go to Jesus and we pour it out before him. And we say, we don't understand this. We let him see our struggles. We talk to him in the midst of our pain. And as we journey it with him, we see something more of who he is. We have a revelation of God and we grow through the process. But it's true, isn't it, that sometimes we don't respond like Martha. Sometimes we respond more like Mary. And sometimes we withdraw from God. We do to God the same as we do to people. I'm sure I'm not the only one here this morning, although I'm slightly on the introvert side of the line, so it's quite normal for me that if I'm hurt, I want to respond and withdraw. Well, just forget it. I'll just ignore you. It's right, I am dealing with this. It's not like a, I think this is okay. But uh, my natural response, withdraw. Just get out of the place of hurt. Let's back off. Let's not go there anymore. We'll do the silent treatment. We can do that. If you're extrovert here and you don't do that, don't think you're better because you yell and you storm out the room. It's not better, it's just different. But you know, some of us, we withdraw and we go silent. We do that to people and then we also do that to God. When it doesn't work out how we want, we withdraw, we close down, we check out. We can sometimes reach a point where we don't want to talk to God about it. And we don't want to connect with him because we're cross with him. We've taken offense with him. And when we do that, we make a choice to withhold a part of our heart. To not come and be fully present before him because there's a part of our heart that's holding something else that we won't open up to him. When we hold on to disappointment, it stays in our heart. You know, it says in the Bible that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Disappointment and damage, if we don't allow God's grace and love and healing power into it, the heart gets sick. Now, whether through disappointment we take offense at God and withdraw from him, or whether we get wounded by the circumstances of life or people or situations and we allow the pain to sit unresolved in our hearts, we can reach a point where we just stop fully showing up to God. We don't come with a fully open heart or a fully available heart because it's got damaged. Part of it we're withholding, sometimes not even consciously, but there's other stuff in there. There's blockage, there's rubbish, there's pain and hurt and sometimes other stuff too that we add to it, like unforgiveness and bitterness and our other responses that can go in the mix like pride and fear and it all gets a bit of a mess. But it closes off our hearts and when we come to talk to God, our hearts are filled already. You know, when it comes to forgiveness, I'm aware it's hard to forgive. And some of you have journeyed some things that are extremely hard to forgive. But Jesus says, and the words are there for us to read in Matthew 6, that if we don't forgive someone else, then our Father in heaven will not forgive us. That when we close our heart to forgiveness going out, we close our heart to forgiveness coming in. When we close our hearts to others, we close our hearts to God, and we find ourselves not showing up to him fully. And it's a bit like Mary. We're staying at home. 
Now, you may have come this morning. You have come this morning, or you wouldn't be sitting in front of me. But we can find ourselves present, but not fully present. Part of our heart withheld, not fully open to God. Now, I had a season where the choices and actions of some other people in a church situation had really hurt my heart. I didn't even realize in that season that I'd closed down or closed off. I knew that I was finding it hard to connect with God. I knew that I couldn't sense his presence and I knew that it wasn't good, but I hadn't understood what had gone on in me. And then one morning I came to church and there was a run of worship and then someone brought a prophetic word and they said, there's someone here and you've been wounded and God wants to heal your heart, but you've let it get infected. And you've got to deal with the infection and then he will heal your heart. You see, the truth was that I had been hurt and God knew that and God wanted to heal that. But in my response to that pain, the way I'd, respond, I'd responded, I'd, I'd become in some ways angry. There was pride, a sense of entitlement and that I deserved something different and I shouldn't have had to walk in that situation. I had damage in my heart. And it stopped me being able to connect and engage with God. And before he could take me any further, he said, we've got to to deal with this. If we want to go to the next level, we've got to deal with this damage. And although I'd shown up in person in church, I couldn't bring my heart because it was full of other stuff. And I needed to deal with the damage of my heart next. And he graciously helped me to do that. You know, sometimes we come into church and someone asks how we are and we say that we're fine. That's not always the case on the inside. How are you today? How is your heart? Is it fully open to God? Do you sit here this morning knowing that there's damage and disappointment in your heart? Baggage and blockage, disappointment. If we want to move to the next level as God is leading us to, we've got to be willing to deal with what's in our hearts. The next level demands that we give all of our hearts to God, that we come fully open. And this morning I take us to Mary because Mary shows us the way forward. You see, even though Mary initially, she stayed at home and she held back, offended at Jesus and disappointed in her heart, I want us to look at her. You see, the key thing for us to note to start with is how Jesus is to her when she responds like that. Because, you know, Jesus doesn't get cross with her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't say, you should not have responded like that. He doesn't go after her and say, come on, Mary, can you not be more like Martha? Not at all. What we get told is that Jesus asked for her. Jesus asked for her. I think Jesus knew exactly what was going on in her heart because he always does seem to know what's going on. He knows what the real issues are. So I don't know if he said to Martha, it's like, where's Mary? Or why hasn't Mary come? Maybe he just said, please, would you go and get Mary? What we do read is that Martha goes back and she goes in and says to Mary, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. The teacher's here and he's asking for you. You see, he wanted her to come to him. He wanted to be close to her in her grief. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
He's never afraid of our response. He's not afraid of our emotions. He's not afraid of our disappointment. He's not afraid of our questions. He wants to come close to the brokenhearted. He wants to come close when we are crushed in spirit. So Jesus asked for her. He said the teacher's here and he's asking for you. He calls her out to come to him this morning. And I know there's some people here this morning and the Lord is gonna speak to you through this word today. And he's saying to you this morning, I'm asking for you. The teacher's here and he's asking for you. Not just the person next to you, he's asking for you this morning. He's calling you out to come close to him with your grief and with your pain. And as he does that this morning, I want to bring out three things of how Mary responds to him that we will do well to learn from. First of all, verse 29, it tells us when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. She got up quickly and went to him. When Jesus asked for Mary, when he called her out of where she was, she didn't hang about, she didn't hesitate. She didn't leave it for another day and procrastinate. She didn't say, oh, I'll do, deal with that in another season. She got up quickly and she went to him. She responded immediately. Friends, there's some of us this morning who God wants to speak to. He's calling you out of the place where you are. He's asking for you. And the response today is to come quickly, to respond quickly to him, not, not put it off anymore. You may have put it off many times, but no more. The encouragement from Mary is to get up quickly and go to him. Don't hang around, come to him now this morning. The second thing I note from Mary's response is that when she goes, it says she fell at his feet and said, Lord. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, that even in her disappointment and even in her place of offense, she acknowledged that he was Lord. In both her physical posture and the words of her greeting, she acknowledged that he's Lord. You know, sometimes when we take offense at God and sometimes when we've been hurt, our view of God, we allow to change. Sometimes we start coming to him differently, coming sometimes with a sense of entitlement with pride, with arrogance, feeling that we can talk to God and tell him what he should have done just because that's what we expected him to do. Sometimes we can come and speak to him in a way that assumes that he owes us something, that we deserved something different from his hand. Sometimes we come and we speak to him like he's some sort of insurance agent with whom we had a contract and he hasn't delivered. Like on some sort of legality or technicality, we have the right to accuse him. We don't mean to do it, but in our pain and in our fleshly response, we don't come to him as though he's God. Somehow in those moments, we can seem to forget that he's the Lord of everything. That he's the one who spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. That he's the one who put the stars in the sky. That he's the maker of the cosmos. He's the one who understands and knows all things for all time. He knows the beginning from the end and he knows everything in between. He's the giver of breath to our bodies and the numberer of our days. We forget that without him we actually have nothing at all. We somehow lose sight of the fact 
that without him, we're still in the same situation with the same pain, but we have neither hope for today nor hope for eternity. We lose sight that all the good things we've ever known are from him. And that in the end, he will judge us. How must our words sound to him in those moments? The Lord has before taken me to task for my pride and showed me what it looked like to him. And in the kindest and most gentle way that he convicts us of sin, I was utterly horrified at what I saw in my own actions and words. But Mary doesn't do that. Even in her pain and her disappointment, she comes to Jesus as Lord. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, acknowledging he's the one who understands all things, not her. And as we respond to him and as we come, as we hear him calling us to come and we respond quickly, let's come and let him be Lord. Not be afraid to bow down and allow him to be God. The third thing that Mary does that we can learn from this morning is she opened her heart to him. She went quickly and she called him Lord, but then she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She puts it out there. She doesn't try and make it all right. She doesn't try and pretend it's okay. She comes to him and she talks with him about her hurt, about her disappointment, about what is impacting her heart. You know, in Psalm 62, verse eight, David writes this, he says, trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And if you've read anything of the Psalms, you'll know they're full of David and some other male writers pouring out their hearts to God, all kinds of emotions, from praise and worship and adoration to anger and misunderstanding and grappling with issues. David had learned to open up his heart to God and pour it out before him. And this was how Mary responded. This is what we need to do, is pour out our hearts to God. Can I just take a moment to point out, David was a man. David was a man. Not only a man, he was a king and he was a warrior. He was like a real man. So you know, we can think that pouring out our hearts and understanding our emotions and connecting with them and dealing with them is perhaps a female thing. It doesn't mean we're all good at it, it just tends to be more of a female thing. Guys, David was a man. He said, pour out your hearts to him. You do also have emotions. You may be better at hiding them. You are better at hiding them. But you still have emotions and you need to pour out your hearts to him. Men, women, this is for all of us. We have to learn to bring it to him. As it is, pour out our hearts to him and not hold back. Open up to him. When Jesus calls us to come, we need to get up quickly and go to him. Respond quickly, fall at his feet and call him, Lord, and open our hearts and be real about what is in there. That's how we begin to deal with the damage that is in our hearts. Now, it's really important in making this journey that we understand what happened next in the story with Mary. 
You see, Jesus sets off to go to the tomb and we get told how Jesus responds. It says that when he saw her weeping, he was deeply troubled. Sorry, no, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And Jesus wept. Now the Jews that were there said of him, see how much he loved him. They thought he was weeping for Lazarus. But I've got to tell you this morning, friends, Jesus was not weeping for Lazarus. Jesus was not weeping for Lazarus. And you need to know why Jesus was weeping. Because in your pain and in your disappointment, you need to understand why Jesus was crying. Why he wept in that moment. You see, Jesus had said from the outset, this sickness will not end in death. He knew he was going to go and raise Lazarus. He knew he was going there to call him out of the tomb. Now, I didn't read the end of the story this morning, but you can read that at home and you'll see Jesus goes and calls him out of the tomb. That's what happens. Jesus knew. Now, he might have been looking forward to seeing Lazarus and wished he was already out of the tomb, but he knew he was going to call him out in five minutes' time. Jesus was not weeping for Lazarus. So why was Jesus weeping? Jesus is weeping because Mary's weeping. Jesus is full of sorrow because Mary's full of sorrow. And the people around are full of sorrow. Jesus is walking through a broken world that he made to be so different. And he's seeing the brokenness. And he's seeing the grief. And he's seeing the pain. And he's seeing the loss. And it breaks his heart. And he weeps. And he's deeply moved. And Mary's questions, does he really love me? Does he really care? He wept for the pain and the brokenness of the world that he'd stepped in to rescue. And you know, as Jesus went to call Lazarus out of the tomb, it describes the tomb to us. It says it was a cave with a stone rolled over it. A cave with a stone rolled over it. Sound familiar as you read the Bible? Can you think of another cave with a stone rolled over it? Because the fact is that within a fortnight, Jesus was going to be in his own cave with a stone rolled out over it. And I think maybe that as he stood outside Lazarus' tomb, weeping with his friends, he knew he was about to walk into the tomb or be put in the tomb. He was going to go to death itself to redeem those people, to bring us out, to make us a way through that we wouldn't be stuck in our brokenness, stuck in our pain, stuck alone. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. You think he hasn't heard your prayer? You think he hasn't seen your tears? He wept with you. He felt the pain of your heart and he carried it all the way to the cross. And he went into the tomb so he could be raised up and make a way for every one of us to have hope for now and hope for eternity. Friend, he loves you. He cares for you. He weeps with you. It's a scheme of the enemy that tries to make us think that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love us, that because of this circumstance and situation, he couldn't possibly. Friend, I don't understand why some things happen. 
I don't understand. I can't explain why you've had to journey through what you have had to journey. But I do know that God is unchanging. I do know that he is good. And I do know that he loves you. And the reason that I know that is he went to a cross. And he carried your sin and your shame like he carried mine. He paid for it personally. And I cannot say he does not care. If he did not care, he would have stayed in heaven and never come. He didn't weep for Lazarus. He wept for Mary. He wept for those around. He wept for you and for me, for the brokenness of fallen humanity and the sin and pain that is perpetuated by evil. If we'll respond as Mary responded, he'll meet us. He treats us the same. He weeps for our pain. I know there's a number of people who are gonna need to respond this morning and we're gonna give time and space for that, but just before we come to that, I wanna just put a few practical tools in our hands. You know, when we've had emotional pain and damage in our hearts that has lingered, when we've carried that, then there is a spiritual response when Jesus calls us out of that place where we've got stuck. And there will be a moment to respond to that this morning, to respond like Mary and to come quickly and to bow down and to call him Lord and to begin to pour out our pain to him. But then when we have done that, we need to begin to process our pain, to engage what is in our emotions and our thoughts, to process it out and walk it out. That just as in our physical bodies there is a process of healing, there is a process of healing for our hearts and our emotions. So really quickly this morning, four things. You may not need these now, you may. All of us will need them at some point in our lives because we all get hurt sometimes. First of all, we need to acknowledge the pain. We need to be specific and not general. Don't just say, I know I've got some issues. I know I've got some pain in there. We have to get specific with what is in our hearts and what has hurt us. You may need to write it down. You may need to speak to someone to help get that out. But we have to begin by acknowledging the problem. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We need to get specific. Secondly, we need to clean the wound. When we've been wounded, we need to clean it out. We need to take responsibility for the attitudes that are our responses that are not godly and repent of them. We need to be willing to go on a journey of forgiveness. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we need to forgive others. Often it's both but we need to clean the wound out. You know infected wounds don't heal, so we have to clean them out. Thirdly, we have to bandage the wound. If you like, we're providing it support so that it can heal and journey in a season of time, but with the environment that it needs to not keep getting rewounded. And to do that, we need the Word, the Word of God, the Bible, the truth, and we need the Spirit. That's why it's good to keep coming to church Make sure you keep getting the word and the spirit. And also we need fellowship and accountability. We need to be in situations where there are people around us creating an environment that will help us to heal. An atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of truth, an atmosphere that's life-giving. Fellowship and accountability where somebody knows what is going on in our hearts. That we're actually talking to someone and being real with someone. And fourthly, we need to strengthen 
to strengthen that area of our life, to understand that we can get to a point of being healed, but then we still sometimes carry a scar and we need to keep rebuilding and strengthening in that area of our lives. Four simple tools. It's easy to write them down. It takes a while to work it out. You know, every sermon requires us to go and work it out if we want to grow from it. There's just some tools to work it out. Sarah, would you come and, and help? But this morning as we come to finish, it's a simple word really to respond to. The teacher is here and he's asking for you. Some of you here this morning, you know you've carried pain and damage in your heart and you know you've held back in some ways, meaning to or maybe not meaning to, but this morning he's asking for you. Friends, he is asking for you. The one who is the teacher is also the healer. And he wants to minister to you. He wants to begin a healing process. I know there's some people here this morning and you don't even know where to begin. It's like there's a part of your heart and it feels like it's actually locked up. Like it's got a padlock on you. Like I could go to the front, but I don't even know how anyone's gonna get that unlocked. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning. It's to unlock some things that you have no idea how to unlock. He's gonna meet you this morning and help you. I don't bring this word this morning because I think it's a clever word. I bring the word this morning because the Lord put it on my heart. And then in the season of the life of the church from other voices, it's become so evident that it is what the Lord wants to do this morning. That he is asking for you.